Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. That's me. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. People that are creative and how they do their thing, how they hang in there, how they keep it going. Those are the things that I love to talk about. Today, my guest is a friend of mine from yoga class, Dr. Paria Hasuri. She is also an author. Her book is called Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. And it's about her family's journey and her personal journey when her daughter came out as transgender. And uh, it's moving. It's honest. I think it's going to help a lot of people. The writing is beautiful. And I was so excited to talk to Paria all about it. All right. Before we get to that, I want to mention that the You Don't Know My Life virtual game nights are still going strong. Weather's colder. People are staying indoors. Infection rates are up. So if you're looking for something fun to do that is safe to do with the people that you love, let me host a virtual game night for you. You will laugh. It will feel like a real thing. It won't feel like the substitute thing for the better thing. It's like perfect the way it is with everybody zooming in. So um, you can learn about that at youdon'tknowmylife.com. Hit me up and we will have fun together. All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here is... All right, that's enough for the plugs. Here is Paria Hasuri. Joining me now via Zoom, it's Dr. Paria Hasuri. She's the author of the new book, Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. Hi, Paria. Hi, Dennis. Now, we know each other from yoga. We take yoga from the same teacher, uh, Jake on the roof we've done a retreat or two together which are very bonding yes um, yes yeah, so I that's how I know you but I I would see you would post articles once in a while that you would get published on like the Huffington Post and and so when I saw that you had the book uh, I was so excited to talk to you um, it's such a personal story how would you describe the book to someone uh, who who knew nothing about you or nothing about your story I would say the book is about my journey as a parent during the time period from when my middle child first came out as transgender to us in her teens to when she had um, her legal name and gender change. And during this sort of year and a half from when she came out to, to, um, and while she had her transition, I go through my own process of, um, denial, anger, grief to then acceptance and, and moving forward and sort of have my own um, evolution as well. Yeah. And so it's really about my evolution during her change. It's quite an odyssey. And it starts in Thailand where you are on a yoga retreat that I wanted to go to so bad, but I couldn't swing it. And it just sounded so beautiful. But yeah. then in the middle of it, you get this phone call. Talk to me about that beginning how surreal that must have been to be way over there having this kind of spiritual you know experience and then boom what was that like so (laughs) so Bach my husband and I were on a yoga retreat and we hadn't we hadn't taken a vacation just the two of us like more than a weekend away somewhere close in quite a while when we went when we decided to go on that yoga retreat and we also had this rule where we wouldn't fly anywhere. We couldn't go directly. Right. No connections. Um, yeah. And so, and for this yoga retreat, we had like broken that rule and 
taken like three connecting flights and a little private boat to get to this remote little island. And it was five in the morning and my cell phone rang and I knew it was not going to be good. I just, you know, had a feeling. Had a feeling. Um, And it was a school uh, vice principal calling to say my parents were staying with my three kids who at that time I had two teenagers and a tween. And they had called my parents to pick up our middle child from school because she had told a teacher that she believed that she was a girl and not a boy. And she didn't know how to tell her parents. And the thought of, you know, telling us was upsetting enough to her that she was harming herself. And so that, you know, triggered them to call my parents to pick her up and, and call us in Thailand at five in the morning. Um, and my initial, I mean, I was really, really sad and upset that she was hurting herself. I wasn't sad and upset that she was trans because I didn't think there was any possibility that she was trans. So, so my initial upset was more just a, at the fact that I was miles and miles away and that she was, something was going on with her bad enough for her to feel like she needed to hurt herself. But I thought that the possibility that she was actually trans was less than 1%. So, so initially wasn't so upset about that part of it. Um, and, and so really our vacations sort of turned upside down and, you know, we tried to figure out if we could come back earlier and we couldn't come, you know, it was just, it was a mess. We couldn't come back earlier. Talk to my parents. My parents were like, don't worry. And my parents didn't know why she was hurting herself. She had told the school, right. you know, make sure you don't tell my grandparents why I did it. Um, so they just knew that something was going on and that she'd hurt herself and they had picked her up and, and, um, you know, my mom was like, don't worry, don't worry. I'm going to watch her like a hawk until you, you know, you and uh, watch, you know, she would say him at that point, you know, until you get here. Um, and, and that's what happened. Yeah. So, th- but there aren't enough Shavasanas in the world to take your mind off something like that when you're so far away. Um, yeah. You say, and you write in the book that you, you didn't believe it was possible because you had seen no indications, nothing to do with right clothing or toys or any of those things that maybe from the outside we might think of. And as I was reading your book and you learned this as you were going through it, that's not uncommon. Like there, there, there are different ways that people start to, to express this. And that was part of why you wanted to write the book. So talk to me about the right. idea that somebody could not show what some would think of as outside signs and still uh, be transgender. Yeah, so pretty much at that time when she came out, and this was May of 2017, I really knew hardly anything about trans people, despite thinking that I'm a very like open, liberal, right. accepting person. Right? right. I knew nothing about, you know, I realize now I knew nothing about being trans, really. Right. Um, I thought I knew things, but I didn't. And so she... You know, she when she came out at 13 and a half before that, she never wanted to do anything that we would associate generally as like female behavior or things that, you know, girls want to do. She never wanted to play with girl toys. She never wanted to grow out her hair. She never, um, you know, resisted um, any of 
like the clothes that I bought her, which were just t-shirts and shorts and Crocs. I mean, you know, she never said, I don't like my body. She never said, I wish, she never said, I wish I could be a girl. I wonder what it would be like to be a girl, you know? Um, So none of that really happened before. And so that's why when she came out, I just thought there's no way because every story I had heard about kids who are trans and everything I had been exposed to, um, you know, the kids had signs early starting when they're three, four or five years old. And that just wasn't how she presented. Um, But yeah, but then later I learned that up to 50% or more of trans people don't really have signs in childhood and that it may can start for them either once they're around puberty or once their body starts um, changing is when they sort of realize that there's a mismatch between their sex assigned at birth, you know, and the gender that they're supposed to be. Um, And for some people it's later than that. It's late adolescence. It's early adulthood. For some people it takes a while to, you know, figure out that something about this isn't right. Right. Um, so when you came back from Thailand, your your thought was, we're going to figure out what this is really about and deal with right. that. Um, right. You're quite honest about looking back and going, wow, I didn't handle a lot of that the right way. Or, or And I think it was great of you to be that honest in the book, because I think people will relate to it. But you didn't, right away, you didn't, there were things that you go, gosh, I wish I hadn't said that, or I wish I hadn't thought that. Talk to me about that early period. Yeah, I think that early period, you know, once we came back from Thailand and we sat in LA and and we sat with her on the couch and she sort of told us everything that had happened, I handled it terribly. (laughs) You know, I, she sat down and told us kind of all the reasons why she believed that she was trans and the research she had done and what she had learned and you know, the discomfort she had been feeling with her body over the last, you know, six months to a year prior to that. And I just shut down and I was like, no, 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 that's not possible. You're confused. Um, I'm your mother. I would have known, I know you better than you know yourself. I would have known if you're trans. I'm also a pediatrician. So I know about, you know, what trans people are like, which is completely not true at all. They, you, they don't train anybody on, on gender identity, really. No, no physicians get, tra- get training uh, on this. Um, and so, uh, you know, I just, I mean, I said, okay, I will take, I will find a therapist to help you figure this out, a therapist who has experience with this, but there's no way I'm going to let you transition or anything's going to happen before you're 18 years old, but that's fine. You know, we'll find a therapist. Um, and I think I would, I, I handled it uh, poorly for a lot of reasons. One, again, was that there wasn't any part of me that thought there's any possibility that she's trans. I think, you know, sometimes what you think you know for sure gets in your way. And I thought right. for sure I knew. And also, um, I think we've observed that mother's instincts about things like this, they always say with gay people, you, oh, mothers always know. And a lot right. of times that's right. There is that thing of like, you know. So I could understand you wanting to like cleave to that gut instinct about this. And like, because you know, right? But but in this case, it wasn't right. Yeah, I I had never, ever, ever for a second thought that there might be a possibility that she might be trans. So as um, I was reading this, I thought about Ava, your daughter. I was like, 
what courage and what like resourcefulness to research and like to take this on in a way and come to you and talk like I was really impressed like I I don't know when I was that age if I would have been as just as mature or courageous or or anything I, I it's quite remarkable right yeah I think it's incredibly courageous especially when you you know at that time I was too bogged worrying what I'm going through to really see her courage or realize how courageous she was being. But, you know, especially with something like, you know, like this, I mean, when she came out, she, she was presenting 100% as a boy, you know, on the outside. Right. And then for her to start doing things like putting on dresses and walking down the street in the dress, when you still look very much like a teenage, you know, boy, I mean, that's, so brave and so you know so uh incredibly you know courageous so um and to to at that age you know insist and keep insisting and be so sure of who she was and what she needed to do and you know for me to push back and her to keep pushing back and insisting yeah I was incredibly brave I kept waiting for her to whip out a powerpoint and go look I've done my research I've been on reddit this is da, 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 all this, you know, um, yeah. talk to me about the Thanksgiving that was pretty early on. There yeah. was a, there's a Thanksgiving scene that you write about. Yeah. So, so she came out in May by Thanksgiving. Um, I had moved from anger and denial to grief and also realizing that there was probably some truth to what she was saying and that I couldn't ignore it, you know, any longer. And um, the week before Thanksgiving had been her birthday and she had wanted to, and we were all going to see Hamilton and she had wanted to wear this dress and we had said that she couldn't wear it. Um, And she was crushed. (laughs) And so, and that really hurt me when when I saw how crushed she was um, on her birthday. So on Thanksgiving day, Again, she was like, mom, I left something on my bed for you to iron uh, that I want to wear. And I just, I knew it was the dress again. And I said, okay, this time I'm not going to be the one to, yeah. you know, I stop ruined her. Hamilton. I'm not going to ruin Thanksgiving. Right. I ruined Hamilton. <laughs> I ruined her birthday. I'm not going to, you know, crush her, you know, again. So you I ruined went, Hamilton. It's Hamilton. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I went and I, you know, went to her bedroom and picked up the dress off her bed and, and I ironed it. And it was the first time really that she, you know, she wore a dress to her grandparents to Thanksgiving dinner. It was a big, you know, statement for her. There was a lot of drama because, you know, my husband Bob didn't want her to wear a dress. And I said, well, I'm not going to be the one to tell her right. and crush her again. So if, if you don't want to wear it, you are. But of course, when it came to doing it, he could never do the dirty work. It was, you know, always I had to do it. So he said, fine. You know, he didn't, he said, fine, let her wear the dress. He, he didn't say anything. Um, I texted my sister so my sister could warn my mom that she was coming in a dress. And, you know, even though my parents had been up to that point, pretty surprisingly supportive, I think, there's one thing with like being supportive in theory and then having your, you know, what you think is your grandson come to Thanksgiving 
and addressed for the first time. And, you know, there was all this back and forth kind of behind the scenes drama going on. And I, you know, my sister called me and said, you know, mom is not happy about the dress. And I said, I'm not telling you to tell mom just so I'm not telling mom to get mom's permission. I just want mom to be prepared. This is, you know, this is what's happening. Um, So it was a real turning point. Um, And, you know, that, that moment on, there was really no sort of stopping her once we, um, how did you feel at the end of Thanksgiving day after it had all gone, it all played out? How did you feel at the end of the night? I felt incredibly stressed and exhausted and my parents, my parents um, looked tired all of Thanksgiving dinner and like they weren't really enjoying themselves. Um, there had been stress between, you know, Bach and myself. I felt like I spent Thanksgiving dinner, like drinking a glass of wine and trying to just act normal and right. make, every, I felt like I was trying to do this balancing act of, making everybody happy, you know, watching out for my child while making my husband and my parents happy and still laugh and pretend it was like a normal Thanksgiving. Um, I was, I was very, I was drained and exhausted when the night was over. Yeah. What did, did Ava tell you anything about the day at the end of the day? Like that, that was, thank you. No, she didn't say anything, but she was beaming. You she was see it. beaming. You see we, it. Yeah. In you know, face. we took pictures. You could see in her face how happy she was. We um, you know, she just while we were there, she was so happy to be in a dress. Um, so she didn't really have to say see anything. I mean, there was just stark contrast in her face between uh the week before Hamilton and you know the Thanksgiving pictures, you know. Yeah. So. Um, throughout the book, you come in contact with people who surprise you in how giving or how much they get it. Even the judge at the name changing ceremony, mm-hmm. like the the I'm very I was very touched by those people along the way, and there were probably others that weren't as yeah. didn't get it or were ignorant or even mean. But there were these grace notes throughout the book of people. Yeah. What what did they mean to you? Can can you um. Talk a little yeah, bit about- I mean, one of the things that meant a lot to me was, you know, there's a part where my my father, one of my father's best friends from childhood, who's a, you know, 75-year-old Muslim Iranian man, sends a bouquet of flowers to Ava with a card that says, Ava, we're so proud of you and, and we support you. Um, I mean, that was huge you know that was his way of being like let me take the first step to say this is all okay you know (laughs) um that was and I knew he was doing that you know not so much for Ava but for me and for my parents for everybody for yeah for everybody um so that was a really touching moment for me I mean there was the uh, judge in court who just didn't bat an eye at her um, name change and made sure that um, he didn't mention her old name and that he made her feel, you know, really comfortable. Yeah. And you, uh, you write in the book that you watch some of the other people there to get name changes. He'll ask them questions about why or whatever. And he'll make little right. jokes. And then when Ava gets up there, very respectful, 
just getting it done, a lot of yeah. warmth coming through. It, it was moving. Yeah, yeah. And again, that was, you know, like that judge was an elderly looking white male. You know, right. I don't know how old he was, you know, but he was just, he clearly knew like what he was doing and to not draw attention to why we were there doing it or make jokes about it. Like he had been joking with sort of other people who were there for name change. Um, and so that was really touching. You know, I think um, anytime someone just acknowledged and recognized her as a girl was really moving for, for both of us. Um, it really meant a lot. So. Um, you talk about how, Ava's relationship to her body made you think about the way you related to your own body, body image yeah. issues, this, you know, the need we all feel to look a certain way, to feel a certain way. Talk a little bit about how seeing what she, what she was working through um, brought up some of that stuff for you. Yeah. So I started yo-yo uh, dieting when I was 11 years old, I think. Uh, really, I went through puberty early. And as soon as my body started changing, you know, I always had a little, just was a curvy, had a curvier body. And I was um, at 11, I actually had a ballet teacher who told my mom that if I wanted to continue in ballet, I'd have to lose some weight. <laughs> um, so, so that at 11 started a lifetime of yo-yo dieting and fighting my, you know, fighting my body. And I have never been overweight, yet I spent so much energy <laughs> wasted, you know, on my body. We're talking about fighting 15 pounds, not fighting, you know, 50 pounds, you know. Um, and so when she, you know, when she started, when we started talking about uh, estrogen, you know, Ava would say things like, oh, you know, how long do you think I'd have to be taking estrogen for my thighs to get, and thighs and hips to get a little bit wider? And, you know, she- and you were like, no! Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, you know, like having wider thighs and hips defines like what we think of traditionally as a woman's body. So why have I been, sorry. Oh, that's okay. I thought it was me. Yeah. So, so, you know, why have I been fighting my, you know, I've been fighting my curves for so many years right. and she's, you know, waiting and hoping to develop some curves. Yeah, she would kill for those curves. Yeah. And it's like, I love being a woman. Why have I fought looking like a woman for so long? Yeah. Um, and, it, and why have I been so ungrateful for a, this body that is exactly how it should be? You know, right. I was born with a body that matches my gender identity. And the, like right there, you know, after everything else is crazy. So, it was just like done, you know, I'm done. You know, this is my body. I'm love it. I'm grateful for it. These wide hips are the same hips that my mom and all six of her, you know, si sisters had that, you know, Ava would love to have. Um, and, you know, it just put, put a lot into perspective. Right. And you write early in the book that you, that, that Ava had dealt with depression and some issues before and maybe wanting attention as a middle child and some of this stuff. Once you sort of put it together that, that she was trans, did it, did a lot of those other past issues 
get shown in a different light? Like, did they, were they connected, I guess, is my question. Yeah, I think, you know, Ava had a lot of little things that didn't really have anything to do with gender, but they all added up to something wasn't right that she couldn't figure out. Right. You know, so she, I think, you know, and, you know, she she had, like, difficulty making a lot of friends. So she always, when she was a little kid, you know, just had a couple of friends. Or we'd go to a birthday party, and if um, she had a hard time just running off and playing with a bunch of boys who were being, you know, rowdy. So I would have to, like, kind of take her and, you know, make her, you know, start playing with the other kids. Or she'd sometimes be depressed for no apparent reason and we would take her to therapy it wasn't like we would you know and she would sit in the therapist's office and just like cross her arms and not say anything and when they'd say you know why are you sad or why are you having a hard time making friends she'd just say I don't know I don't know and I truly believe she didn't know you know and so she didn't like being touched or like she didn't like being hugged or held. That was one of the big things. Yeah. Was that she had a, she had like a discomfort with like being held really closely or hugged really tightly. And that went away after she transitioned, which is remarkable. Now she's like super hugger. Now she's super hugger. And so I think, and she has more friends than she ever did before. So there was a lot of these little things, which, you you see kids like that and when none of it when there's nothing to point that gender is potentially the underlying cause of it you know yeah have that on your mind as like one one of the possibilities or explanations you know yeah of course you know when i hear stories from trans people that i've talked to and and what and the courage that it takes to express yourself and to wear a dress at thanksgiving it, it sort of leads me to think that 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 not doing anything or staying secret must be must be so much worse than we can even imagine for, right. for people to go through what they go through to be their authentic selves and to risk what 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 they risk right you know absolutely it's got to be so and you know she says cuz for her her discomfort really started when she was going through um puberty so when she looks at pictures from that year before she came out where her body started changing from the, you know, body of a, what looks like a preteen, you know, I mean, preteen body basically from, you know, other than genitals looks the same, you know, in girls and boys. So when her body started changing and her facial structure started changing and masculinizing and she started getting facial hair, you know, she was so incredibly, um, unhappy in that year um and I didn't I think that's part of I didn't know that she was I mean she hid it so well yeah it's it's as though your body is going further away from Mm -hmm. what you feel like with every hair on your chin it's like it's getting worse you know yes um your husband is also a doctor and I remember seeing him on the cover of a magazine he works with a lot of trans patients isn't that correct Yes. Yeah. So he, he actually was doing transgender top surgery before Ava even came out. Right. Like, which, 
which, you know, not that many, I mean, now there's a lot more physicians doing trans top surgery, but when he started doing it, he actually started doing it because there was a shortage and there was, you know, a need for people to, to do it. And so he had a much easier, despite the little like snafu with the dress that he didn't right. want to wear, her to wear, but, but otherwise he had a much easier time accepting it and he um he came to realize that what she was telling us was probably the truth long before i did uh because he'd had a lot more experience with with trans clients and he'd had a couple of clients where the parents said yeah like we never knew and it just you know came up out of the blue when they were when they were older so even that first time first uh, family room couch conversation that we had where I told Ava, no way, no way, there's no way you're trans, you know, Bob said, you know, there is a little bit of a possibility that what she's telling us is, you know, real. Right. And, and I got mad at him. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to hear it. <laughs> you didn't want to hear it. But yeah. I, I remember reading about him and, and there was something almost political about the work that he was doing or like there was, a, there was, it was there was a commitment to it that was really yeah. meaningful to read about. And that's part of yeah. his work, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for him, he finds, you know, he did then and he does now that his, his work for trans clients is the most gratifying. It's because it, you really make such an impact, you know, top surgery makes such a big impact uh, for, for a lot of trans people. So he's just found um, to sort of watch the impact it has on them as like a really great gratifying you know experience yeah and something else you write about in the book is being an immigrant um mm -hmm. you you came from iran when you were 10 11 something, mm -hmm. or, 10, something like yeah. that and yeah. this was right after the iran hostage crisis wasn't it yeah so i i can't i just remember from the news but i can't imagine that people in america were like yay iranians like right. what was it like I, you know, we came, we came here during what was probably the worst time to be, you know, to be Iranian in the U.S. Um, and we came here when we, came, it was 1983, and we initially lived for a year in Madison, Wisconsin. And I, I was in fifth grade, and I really got bullied a lot in that, in, in fifth grade. And then we moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I spent um, like sixth through 12th grade in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as one of really just one of the only brown kids in a very large white high school. Um, so I had, I had a lot of my own um, insecurity and fears of my past. You know, I always felt like I was on the outside. I spent all of middle school and high school very, very lonely. And so, you know, when you're an outsider and you've grown up really lonely, sort of the last thing you want for your kid is for them to right. then have Fitting your experience so times a hundred, yeah. <laughs> you know, because being trans is at that time, you know, I was worried that being trans would be a lot worse than being in, and, uh, you know, brown Iranian in a, in a white neighborhood. Um, so that, um, but I think, and, you know, and now I think back for me when I was in middle school and high school, I mean, I would spend the day just with 
for three o'clock so I could come home and feel, you know, safe and comfortable and be myself at home. Right. And I, I think now when I think about it, one of the things that I feel terrible about is that, you know, that there was this interim period where, I mean, home was never unsafe for Ava, but there was a period where she couldn't be herself at home. Right. And that really makes me sad. Right. And when you really chronicle it in the book, like step by step, will you call me, you know, when she wanted to be called uh, a female Ava Nate? Did she, yeah. When did she settle on the name Ava? Was that... Yeah. Yeah. She, she, so we, she came out in May and we really started calling her Ava. I believe it was in, in March. So, uh, but she initially, she wanted us to call her the name Lucy. Uh, and she had, she had a couple of friends who were calling her that we didn't want to call her. We had a hard time accepting the name Lucy because we felt, you know, our other kids, we all have Iranian names. So my other yeah. kids are Arman and Shada. And we, in Farsi, we have the name Ava. We just, we pronounce it Ava. Yeah. But so we wanted her to, we were like, if we're going to change your name, we at least want it to be a name that we also have, you know, in Iranian culture. And, right. and um, because, you know, it's, you you might be, you know, your gender expression, you know, might be different and, you know, your identity might be different than what we thought it was, but you're still part of our family. And so it just felt like the name Lucy didn't fit into our, our family at all. So, so we had this, you know, so, so there was a while where she wanted us to call her, you know, by female name and use she, her pronouns where we were just like, no, because we were in total denial. And then there was a time where we started to come out of denial, but we just couldn't see ourselves calling her Lucy. And so we were like, let's try to come up with, you know, some names that are both American sounding since that's what you, you know, want, but also fit into, you know, our, we feel like fits into our family that we identify with more. And I think part of that is, you know, for me, I've really struggled that I still somewhat struggle and getting better, at, you know, between this, um, I, my own multiple identities of how much my American versus Iranian versus Iranian American and what parts do I hold on, you know, how do I, how do I hold on to the parts that I want to hold on to and really who am I? I mean, we all have our own identity struggles and, uh, for, for various things. And, you know, for me, one of my big identity struggles has been, uh, my Iranian versus American, you know, parts. Um, but I definitely wanted my children to have Iranian names. So. Yeah. Cause you moved here when you were, you were old enough to have a whole childhood and memories and everything right. back in Iran. Like right. what are the yeah. things that remind you of that? The smells or the, what, what, what takes you, you back know, to Los Angeles. Up? So, I mean, we, I purposely moved to Los, you know, once I grew up, I personally, you know, purposely moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to live in a city that had a lot of diversity and had a lot of Iranian people so that my kids wouldn't feel like outsiders. But um, Los Angeles and Tehran also just somewhat look the same, like some of the, some of the hills and streets and back alleys uh, actually look a lot the same. Um, I mean, just that it's a really big, busy city, um, you know, reminds me of that. I think, 
you know, a lot of uh, families having like extended family or multiple generations of family, you know, living together, some of these things, you know. Yeah. Um, it must be the political time we're living in where immigration is 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 more uh, heated, the discussion mm -hmm. of it. Trans, trans issues are more heated. Yeah. I, I watched a clip last night of Melania Trump talking about how good Trump has been on LGBT issues. And I just wanted to reach through the screen yeah. and do something untoward to her. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it's hard, right? It's, you know, you're going through this thing personally in your family and then you see yeah. this stuff in the culture. Yeah. It must be I mean, hard. all they've done is continue, just continuously, specifically try to roll back every right for trans, you know, yes. LGBTQ possible. So how they can say that they've done anything positive for the, the LGBT community is just absurd. Yes. It's it, but they do it with they, they sit there with that straight face and talk yeah. right to the camera. It's crazy. But yeah. Have you found yourself getting more riled up around it and and like more becoming more of a an activist than you might have thought or and I well, know yeah. Yeah, I mean I'm definitely much greater of an activist than I ever <laughs> thought I would be, right. you know, specifically around, you know, transgender rights and transgender issues. Um, I think it's really hard not to get super angry and super riled up at, at points. I think for me, my approach has been um, to try to sort of uh, be visible and have our family be visible and change hearts you know, right. almost more, you know, I think when you, you know, they say that 80% of Americans, 80% uh, of Americans report that they have never met a trans person or don't feel like they know a trans person. Right. Now, I'm sure there's most of them have probably, you know, you can't tell always when somebody's trans. So it's very possible they have met somebody and they, and they don't know, but, but certainly they don't feel like they know it really know right. a trans person. So I think, you know, when you're sort of, you your story and particularly with memoir I think when people read a memoir that's 100% honest they right. sort of feel like they know you and they know your family and I think hopefully that way you change you know that you sort of change hearts and um, you know if, if somebody who feels like they don't know a trans person at all you know, did read my memoir, then maybe the next time there was legislation trying to take away healthcare rights from trans kids, or even something saying like, yeah, you know, they, in high school, they can't play on the girls team or the boys team or whatever, that maybe they would think about my book and, you know, and say, well, why shouldn't her kid have the same rights as my kid or right. something like that, you know? <laughs> what have you heard from people that have read the book? Um, so it's, I've, the, the emails have been so incredible. I have to say, I'm so touched every time someone takes the time to send me an email. I've been getting lots of emails, like four or five paragraphs long from, um, other parents whose kids have come out recently, like in the last two, three months. Right. Uh, and their kids have come out older, um, you know, and, and they thought they didn't have signs when they were kids and the parents feel like they've been sort of gobsmacked with this. Right. Um, 
and their emails are just so heartful, heartfelt and um, thanking me and, you know, telling me that they're kind of, you know, sort of feel less alone, you know, reading stories of, you know, where, you know, they're not the only parent where they were just like hit with this, you know, out of the blue kind of thing. Um, so those emails have been incredible. Yeah. Um, I've gotten emails from a lot of parents whose kids, uh, you know, this isn't new for them. Their kids, it may have been be years since their kids have transitioned, Right. but they still say thank you for sort of telling our story and, and sort of showing how, how much as parents we struggle with this and that we don't make these decisions for our children. We don't take, make these decisions lightly, you know, we don't, we're not, you know, that these are, um, you know, it's not like our kids are just coming out to us oh, I will be trans and do hormones and we're saying, okay, yeah, you know, kind of thing that, you know, that we, you know, we struggle as parents to make these decisions and we're making the best decisions we can for our kids. So thank you for sort of showing that. Um, I get a lot of emails like that. And um, the other kind of category of emails that has been really touching is um, I've had some emails from uh, trans adults who've read the book who say, you know, you helped me understand a little bit better what it was like for my parent. Oh, that's lovely you know, yeah, you know, as this happened and why my parent was so resistant or why it was so hard, my parent, like I kind of, you know, you've helped me understand my, my parents' process better. And that's really, you know, that is really, um, really lovely. Uh, and I'm just so touched when people take the time to, yeah. you know, look you up and go to your website and, and write to you and let you know that. Well, I think it's because you're so honest about, the things that you regret or things that you wish you had done differently or mistakes you made. You talk about the first therapist that you took her to hope. Yeah. I found that so moving because in some yeah. ways hope was the perfect person. Yeah. But, but talk to me about hope. Yeah. I mean, hope, my description of hope when I first see her is really terrible, you know, from, from when I first heard hopes. So hope was Ava's first therapist. Um, right after Ava came out, you know, I um, called this organization called Colors, and they said they would uh, match us up with a therapist. And I said, okay. And, th- and then I get a call from Hope. And as soon as I hear her voice on the phone, which sounded very deep and masculine, I knew we'd been paired with a trans therapist. And my um, in- initial reaction was like, oh, is, is this trans person going to try to push some trans agenda on my kid and, you know, and and make my kid, you know, trans or, you know, uh, rather than really help my kids, Um, which is a terrible, I mean, it's terrible. I mean, there's no, (laughs) it's such a terrible reaction and thought to have, but it is the truth of what, you know, I thought. Um, And when I first saw her, um, she clearly, you know, looked like a trans woman. Um, and my reaction when I first see my internal dialogue, when I first see her is not nice at all. And I'm very in my book. Um, but hope really ended up being a wonderful first therapist for Ava who kind of helped Ava explore her gender identity at a pace, um, 
that it wouldn't be too overwhelming for me and that would keep, you know, Ava safe. Um, and then, you know, I ended up switching Ava to a different therapist anyway, because I was worried that um, Hope was making Ava trans, which is ridiculous because nobody can make anybody trans and nobody can make anybody cisgender. But these were the thoughts, you know, I had, and I'm, I'm very honest about it in my book. Right. Um, you, you send a message to Hope later, just sort yeah. of owning it a little bit. And, and yes. just, yeah, which yeah. is beautiful. And yeah. So actually after the book came out, um, Hope found me and <laughs> we've been in touch and she, she's just incredible. I mean, you can tell she's incredible by, right. by reading the book, but she's, um, was super supportive of the book. She put the book on her Facebook and told people to read it. Uh, she told me that I need to stop beating myself up over all the things I feel guilty about. Um, she's an incredible woman. I love that there's more to the Hope story. Yeah, I felt like, more- I felt like, oh, I wish Hope had reached back, but okay. Yes. You, yeah, but she did. Yeah. So you're on, she good. did. She, yeah. So she found me through, so she found me through, um, social media yeah. and, and that's not her, her real name. So there's no point, you know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's, you know, I changed her name, but yeah, she found me through social media and she, she read my book. Um, she loved it. I mean, which meant so much to me for, I was so nervous about her reading it. Right. Um, and she put it on her Facebook and said that everybody who knows a trans person, uh, or loves a trans person should read this book. Um, and I mean, there's no, no, no better, you yeah. know, endorsement than that. Um, I think there are a lot of probably well-meaning people or people that aren't too familiar that might go, wow, 13, so mm-hmm. young, like, wait, like, did yes. you get a lot of that pressure? Because yeah. when I think about myself at 13, I can't imagine, I didn't know anything about anything. But, but, you know, people are different and every yeah. and kids are different and, and all of that. But did, did you ever get pushback about like, we get it, but wait. Yeah. Yes, I definitely did. I had, um, you know, a few, a few friends, a couple of relatives and people who said, you know, wait, I mean, that was my own initial reaction. Right. Was, We're not going to let you do anything until you're 18 years old. I think, um, and, you know, people are like, well, teenagers change their mind. You know, they don't know what they want to have for dinner, let right. alone, like, are you going to let them do something, you know, that has some permanent side effect? You know, I mean, forget about surgery. Nobody's talking about surgery, but just, you know, some of the side effects of the medications are irreversible. You know, if you take estrogen, you get breast growth and right. you stop estrogen. The only way to get rid of that best breast growth is to have surgery to remove the breast tissue, you know? So um, there are irreversible side effects, but I think really no one, um, you just have to be, when you're in that situation, you, you realize sort of what ends up being the best decision for your child. Obviously you, you end up having to, you know, I got the help. I mean, I took her to Children's Hospital Center for Trans Youth, where her doctor has been treating trans youth for 20 years now. You know, I, you know, so got the best, um, you know, most qualified experts, you know, in, in the field to help me make decisions that would really just too difficult for us to make on our own. And, you know, we, we also have to remember that trans uh, teens, have a three times increased risk of suicide attempts 
con- con- compared to cisgender teens when wow. they're not supported by their families. Yeah. But if they are supported by their families, then their risk of suicide decreases the same as cisgender teens. So, you know, a threefold increased risk of suicide if you don't, you know, support your kid. And so support your kid doesn't mean like you have to let them medically transition, but it means like see them as who they are, you know, call them by the name and pronouns, take them to the right people, you know, start, you know, start the process of supporting them living, you know, authentically as who they are. And then that may involve medical transition as well. Um, Talk to me about the moment when near the beginning, when it sort of clicked and you went, Oh, I get it now. Or you just seeing her light up or seeing her happiness. Was there a moment where you kind of accepted her truth? Um, it's hard to say a specific moment, but right. there were a lot of um, there were a lot of little moments where I realized that I needed to just take seriously. Right. Um, one of them was, you know, this she first came out in May was, you know, in December, um, a counselor from the school called us again, saying she had walked into the school counselor office with, you know, uh, suicidal thoughts, you know, so, and it was like, okay, you know, you can't, I mean, how many times am I going to have the school call me that she's having suicidal thoughts before I'm going to have to take a different approach to what I've been doing because what I've been doing, you know, hasn't working. Is it working? Um, you know, there was that, um, there was, I think going to my first, uh, support group, uh, meeting transforming family was that first two hour meeting was the, was the most transformative, impactful two hours of my life because where I over and overheard stories of other parents whose kids had come out later and they had been blindsided like I had been. And so it was like, wait, if all these other parents have teens who presented the same way as mine did with no signs in childhood, then maybe, you know, what she's telling you is true. Right. Um, and another really big moment for me was, again, in that first Transforming Family Support Group meeting, where, um, you know, the one of the facilitators slash therapists was just looking at the room in general. Um, and giving everyone advice and said, don't be your child's first bully. And that sentence of don't be your child's first bully was like a bullet in my heart because I was like, wait, have I been her first bully? Yeah. Cause you, you, we all know what it's like to be bullied, but you, you know, you remember vividly as well. Yeah. Um, there are so many things about the world that are scary, but one thing that gives me hope is young people. Because mm-hmm. you talk about um, Ava's siblings, and I, I think the generation, I think her generation is different about yeah. things like this, right? What have you observed about young people? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, young people, at least in Los Angeles, I don't know, you know, yeah. I wonder if it's different, you know, other places, <laughs> you know, or how, how different. But young people are so much more accepting of um, people being trans, people being who they are, that the gender doesn't have to be so rigid, that gender can be fluid, that people should just be free to be, you know, who yeah. they want to be. Right. Uh, you know, one of my good friends was reading my book. 
told me she was reading and she has a daughter who's around Ava's age. And she was like, you know, I was reading it. And then, you know, I told her, oh, when I'm done, you should read this book. And her daughter said, mom, I don't need to read that book. That book, I don't care. You know, that book is for people your age to read and understand, (laughs) not for me. You know, like she had no interest in the topic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why do I care? Like, it's not a big deal for me. It's not something I need to understand. I right. understand it. I don't know? have hangups that I need to get over. Right. Um. So Ava now high school, right? What? What? Yeah. What class? What? Yeah, she's a she's a senior in high school. She's applying to colleges and um, doing really well. Um, she's really like happy, thriving. I mean, so much happier than she was as a little you know kid and really around when this happened and i mean the only thing that um getting her down now is just obviously the pandemic and and having to uh, you know socially distance and and do school online and you know it's like every other teenager who's going through this but but i mean other than that she's doing really well and um is really happy and and it sounds like her school and stuff have been pretty cool and and yeah, I mean, her school was pretty, you know, she, um, you know, they made some accommodations for her in, in freshman year, you know, she went to the counselor and said, I need a private place to change. And they arranged a private place for her to change. Um, they had to make some changes in the choir um, syllabus, um, too, because, you know, she started freshman year in men's choir. And, you know, um, she got them to change the whole syllabus so there isn't like a men's choir and a women's choir anymore. Right, it's bass and treble now, right? Yeah. Which is so cool. Yeah. So, which, and then, you know, because she, like 99% sure she was the first kid to transition in high school, you know, and openly you know and out um and then after her there's been a couple other kids but you know so that you know it obviously then when you're putting in place sort of what's needed it just makes it easier for the next you know kid who comes out and people are you know people are informed and ready and and know what to do and and how to support it right i think sometimes people get get so mixed up about restrooms and all of this stuff and then it's like no we'll just solve the problem we'll figure something out and everything will be fine i mean it's doable these are these are solvable problems where nobody has to feel bad um one of the parallels that struck me reading it is that as she's going through her transition you're sort of emerging as a writer like Mm -hmm. coming out as a right like i'm a writer person this is what i do uh, yeah. and, and what, what has that been like for you to sort of own that part of yourself yeah. and to step so out I in th- that way? Yeah. I mean, I had started experimenting with writing, um, you know, in the last six, seven years and I would, was doing a little bit of blogging and I do some writing and publishing, uh, but really when she came out, when she came out and after a while, you know, pass, I decided to take a class at UC, you know, to actually take a writing class at UCLA and to work on my writing and, and then obviously wrote this book. And, you know, I had always, I think it was re-examining my own life. Hey, like, you know, what's, 
what part of my life, what's missing, you know, how much do I want creativity to be play, you know, right. a bigger role, you know, in my life? What are the things I've sort of been waiting to do and haven't done? Like I had wanted to take a writing class for years and just hadn't made the time for it. And then I decided to just go ahead and take some night classes at UCLA, you know? So, um, and really just asking myself questions about who, you know, what are the things I wanted to make time for in my life? Um, and what are the things I no longer wanted to give energy to? Um, and I, I think also for me, you know, a lot of my life, you know, I had a lot of energy going into, I think, stemming from my childhood, you know, feeling this need to sort of prove my worth or prove that I'm good enough or, you know, and that takes a certain amount of mental energy in your life. And so, you know, when you see your teenager be so unapologetically sure of who she is, then you realize that like in your forties, you just need to get over your own shit and be unapologetically sure of who you are. Right. If um, she can do it at 14. Right. Why am I then so? I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. inspiring. Um, yeah. In one, I watched a little, an interview that a YouTube thing, I think that you did with your publisher, but you talked about how something that could have been felt like the worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. ended up being this incredible blessing. Has that been your experience? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I would still, if I could, you know, go back and there was a way for her to not be trans, I would still take that, not because, you know, I'm incredibly proud of her, but I mean, it's not easy, you know, it's not easy to be trans, you know, and so, um, and, so I wish that, you know, that it could be, easy, you know, easier for her. But but I thought that this was going to be, you know, when she came out, I thought that this was the worst thing that could, that could have happened to me and her and our family. And it's really uh, been incredibly, an incredibly enriching experience to sort of get to ex do this, you know, with her, like, you know, watch her, you know, transition. Um, I mean, it's changed how I view myself, what my priorities are. Um, you know, it's made me really, you know, I would do activism in like little doses here and there, but, you know, never really pursued one particular thing wholeheartedly. Right. And I've met this incredible community of other families with trans kids who are now in my life that I would not have otherwise met. Um, and they, you know, I'm incredibly grateful for having them in my life. Yeah. It, it so. seems like it, it's made you more courageous. Is that fair to say? Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. In all, in all areas of your life. I have another question for you to end on, but before that, tell people how they can find the book. Uh, so the book is everywhere that uh, books are sold. So you can get it through your local independent bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it for you. Um, or you can go on IndieBound and order it. You can get it at Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Amazon. Um, anywhere books are sold. You can go to my website, pariahitsori.com, and there's links to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and IndieBound. Love so. it. Awesome. Um, so this is my, my final question. You, you write about how 
you're grieving the the son that you had or whatever and wondering if you would ever embrace the daughter in that same way or if it would ever feel that describe for me a favorite moment that you experienced with Ava ah um moment you cherish yeah I mean there's so many of them but I would say you know I like I was always worried that I would always think of her as this you know son that I lost and um, not really see her as my daughter and I 100% see her as my daughter now and I don't see her as you know my daughter who used to be my son who's now my daughter or my trans daughter or like I just see her you know as my daughter um I don't know if there's a like a single favorite experience but you genuinely see her smile and laugh and be happy on a daily basis now when in her years that she was unhappy and we couldn't figure it out I always had this like sense of dread like oh when's the next phone call from a teacher gonna come that she's like not happy or something wrong or whatever like I don't have that sense of dread or any you know, any question anymore that her future will be, you know, bright and happy. And I think it's, I think the favorite is every day seeing the smile on her face and it's on and the light in her eyes. And it's a different light and a different smile than she ever had before. Because it's the truth. Because it's the truth. I love it. Well, I'm proud of you for writing the book. I think it's beautiful. Your writing is beautiful. And I think people should pick it up. And um, hopefully I'll see you in yoga sometime soon. Um, I I miss those in-person classes a lot. Me too. Thanks again to Paria Hosuri. Check out her book. It's called Found in Transition, A Mother's Evolution During Her Child's Gender Change. All right, so this happened on this past Saturday. I think it was the 7th, um, just after we found out that Joe Biden had enough votes in the Electoral College to take the presidency, I drove to Fontana and got a new car. Actually, it's a new used car. It's a 2019 that I got. My 2016 pre or no, wait, 20, 2004 Prius was 16 years old. Those are the numbers I meant to say. Um, so my Prius was kind of on its last legs. I had had it taken in to see how much it would cost to make it usable Uh, And it would have been like $6,000. So it was like, it was time. Uh, It's been a very good soldier, this car. But I was like, I wonder if I can make it to Fontana where this other car is in this car that literally backfires a lot and is uh, shutters. It just really shakes every time you start it and stop it. Anyway, my Prius made it to Fontana. I bought the car that I've been cutting out and putting on my dream board for about five years uh, it's a Mazda CX-5. It's this beautiful red color um, that there's this whole video on their website about how they found this red. And I'm not a red car guy, um, but it's just beautiful. And whenever I would see this car driving down the street, I would just my I, I would want to follow it like it was a hot jogger or something. Um, and so I made it happen. Um, I have a friend, Chris, who lives in Oregon, who's a car guru, and he gave me lots of good advice. As I was shopping and looking and asking questions, and I feel good about it. And I think if you saw it, you would not believe how beautiful it is. And you would think I was having some kind of midlife crisis moment 
where I was living above my means and, oh my God, that car is too beautiful to be reasonable, but it's not. It just happens to be really beautiful, but I am having a midlife crisis. I'm, I, it's been going on for 15 years. Um, but anyway, I have the new car. I, cause all during COVID, I was afraid to take any road trips or go anywhere because I didn't trust my car. So new president, new car. There you go. Um, I hope to see you on the road. I'll give you a wave. Try not to crash when you're just gawking at how beautiful the car is. Um, anyway, that's it. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. <laughs>